The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts forever know His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Oh, the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ, the rock, is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. As stated in an earlier episode discussing types and shadows, when we study all of Scripture, we tend to see that indeed God seems to create all things according to a pattern which testifies of Him. As we continue to look and study the visible and invisible things of creation, we are able to increasingly see God's reflection to some degree in that mirror. When these examples occur within Scripture, we characteristically refer to them as types or shadows. We shall also see that ultimately, as with all Scripture, that these types and shadows point to the substance, which is Jesus. In this episode, we continue our study of the story of Jacob and Esau. As we left off in episode 5, Isaac was immediately preparing to deliver the blessing to his son. As has been stated, the traditional classical view is that Isaac intended to give the blessing to his firstborn, Esau, while God and Rebekah wanted Jacob to have the blessing. 
Isaac is old, his eyesight is almost gone, and he believes he is dying. So Jacob deceives Isaac by assuming Esau's identity and brings Isaac venison to receive the blessing. At the same time, we pose the possibility that perhaps Isaac knew what was going on with the attempted deception and simply played along to achieve what God, Rebekah, and he knew in the quiet of his heart to be God's will. While the almost unanimous consensus favors the traditional view, there is at least one view which clearly states that Isaac in fact did know. That being said, it is worth mentioning the Aramaic Targums which provide this blessing from Isaac to Jacob, who is in disguise. Quote, Therefore the word of the Lord gave thee of the good dews which descend from the heavens, and of the good fountains that spring up, and make the herbage of the earth to grow from beneath, and plenty of provision and wine. Let peoples be subject to thee, all of the sons of Esau, and kingdoms bend before thee, all the sons of Keturah, a chief and a ruler be thou over thy brethren. And let thy sons of thy mother salute thee. Let them who curse thee, my son, be accursed, as Belembar Beor, and them who bless thee be blessed, as Moshe the prophet, the scribe of Israel." Unquote. Be that as it may, even if we eliminate this citation as being a later commentary inserted much later, if we look at verses 28 and 29 as they traditionally stand, we see that the blessing is generic. Quote, Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven, and the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee, and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's son bow down to thee. Cursed be every one that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. Unquote. So, in effect, if the traditional verses stand, Isaac doesn't mention either Jacob or Esau by name. Isaac simply blesses whomever God has brought before him. As Isaac finishes blessing Jacob, we proceed to verses 30 to 33. Quote, and it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. And he also had made savory meat, and brought it unto his father, and said unto his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that it, my, thy soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it me? And I have eaten all before thou camest and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed." Unquote. At first glance, reading these verses and comparing them to the preceding ones, some may feel a sense of unfairness. After all, both Jacob and Esau brought venison to Isaac. Both siblings had done as their father had told them. Yet one finds blessing and the other finds rejection and subservience. 
Some may even argue that Esau was more deserving since he had to go out and hunt for his venison, while all Jacob had to do was walk outside and grab two goats from the flock. Looking at this, I can't help thinking of Cain and Abel, who likewise brought their two offerings. In that case, both presented their offerings and one was accepted and one was rejected. While the two incidents are not identical, perhaps the underlying message is the same. So far, it may seem that what has been presented to demonstrate our thesis is somewhat tenuous. The Aramaic Targums, which were available in Jesus' day, may shed further light. Quote, and it was when Ishak had finally blessed Jacob, and Jacob had only gone out about two handbreadths from Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. And the word of the Lord had impeded him from taking clean venison. But he had found a certain dog, and killed him, and made food of him, and brought to his father, and said to his father, Arise, my father, and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Eshek his father said to him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy firstborn, Esau. And Isaac was moved with great agitation when he heard the voice of Esau, and the smell of his food rose in his nostrils as the smell of the burning of Gehenna. And he said, Who is he that hath got venison, and come to me, and I have eaten of all which he brought before me, thou camest, and I have blessed him, and he shall too be blessed." Unquote. Put into theological perspective, the term Quote, word of the Lord, unquote, which has the W in word, capitalized is a euphemism according to John chapter 1 as being Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Then we have the statement that the word of the Lord had, quote, impeded him from taking clean venison, unquote. Remember, the venison in question is the offering which requires killing an animal and the shedding of blood as a sacrifice a propitiation in order to obtain God's blessing. The problem is that the offering must be sufficient in its nature in order to qualify for the transaction of God's blessing. When it is said that the word of the Lord impeded Esau, what is being said is Esau was impeded by his own unrighteousness, his own inability to exercise faith. His attempt to obtain the blessing by works of his own hands, according to his own ability. The fact is that neither Esau nor any other man has the intrinsic ability to present any offering to God which will result in a blessing. Consequently, when we or Esau attempt to do so, the success of securing an offering which will allow for God's blessing is impeded by our own nature according to Romans chapter 3 verse 23. The supposed righteousness which we would offer to God is likewise seen as filthy rags, or in this case a dog, which was seen by Jewish culture as an impure animal which would feast on any kind of garbage. Any attempt to bring our own righteousness, no matter how well-intentioned, how noble, how good, how hard we labor, causes not a blessing, but instead, God, like Isaac, is moved with 
agitation. Instead of a sweet-smelling savor worthy of blessing, God, as does Isaac, smells the burning of Gehenna. This is in contrast to what Isaac, like God, smells when, like Jacob, we come to him clothed by faith in Jesus' pleasant vestments, which is as the smell of the fragrant incense, which is to be offered upon the mountain of the house of the sanctuary, which shall be called the field which the Lord has blessed, and that he has chosen, and therein his Shekinah might dwell." The two approaches by Jacob and Esau therefore stand forever as the axiom which God has given to all mankind is versed in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 through 28, where God addresses Israel, his people, before they cross into the promised land, the type of heaven. Quote, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you will obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. Unquote. Upon hearing that Jacob had obtained the blessing from his father Isaac, Esau responds in verse 34, quote, and when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. Unquote. This is one of many great warnings given time and time again by God. At its heart, this and others refer to that day in time when all mankind come before God at the last and final judgment. At that time, there will be two kinds of people, the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the chaff, Esau and Jacob. Those who come apart from Christ's covering are the goats, the chaff, and approaches did Esau, who despised his birthright. Jesus refers to this group in Matthew chapter 8, verses 10 through 12, where the Roman centurion, a Gentile, asked Jesus in faith to merely speak the command and his daughter, who is tormented with palsy, will be healed. Quote, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, unquote. Here, Jesus refers to the, quote, children of the kingdom, unquote. The children of the kingdom are the Jews who, by every reckoning, have the birthright lineage via Abraham in the flesh to inherit God's promise of eternal life. Yet, despite being God's firstborn, many, like Esau, have disdained that birthright by not responding like the centurion, like Jacob in faith, covered by Christ's righteousness to be blessed. Instead, they, or any man who comes apart from faith in Christ, will weep, as did Esau, and be cast out. In verse 35, Isaac responds, saying, quote, 
And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety, and hath taken away thy blessing, unquote. In keeping with the various theories available, either, one, Isaac is legitimately claiming that Jacob used deception, craft, and subtlety to fool Isaac and get the blessing, two, Isaac is using this terminology with some deception of his own to allow Jacob to do what he did so that Isaac did not have to hurt Esau's feelings and Isaac could still obey God's will. Or three, elements in one or two may be correct. However, there is an underlying type in keeping with the story. As options one and two stand on their own, let's concentrate on option three. In option three, the undisputed word in focus is the word translated quote-unquote subtlety. There is no doubt that the Hebrew word uh, mirmah can rightly be translated as, quote, deception, fraud, craft, falsehood, guile, subtlety, or treachery, unquote. At the same time, the same word is used several times and gives the picture of a weight scale, which is already tipped in one's favor and used to purchase something that as a result they did not accurately or fully pay for, i.e. a false scale. If we were to apply this picture of a false scale to Isaac's statement of Jacob and place it into theological perspective, we could construe the statement another way. In order to catch a glimpse of this picture, let's ask the following redundant question. What does any man or woman in and of themselves bring to the table which will suffice as a payment for our salvation? If you answered nothing, you were correct. As sinful humans, our scale is empty on the side which would ever merit God's forgiveness or reconciliation. In point of fact, the only currency which all we have or hope to have in and of ourselves is only worthy of death. Yet, by God's grace, through faith in Christ, those who are called and chosen are given Christ's gift of imputed righteousness to our account. That endless and inexhaustible, eternal, all-sufficient price in all of its boundless, limitless riches is placed on our scale, and it is Christ who purchases it in full what we, one and all, were bankrupt to do on our own. Thus, theologically speaking, the above verse could be translated, quote, Thy brother came and appropriated the blessing despite the fact that he was not entitled, unquote. If you wish to continue using the word deception, that's fine. From an earthly, fleshly, worldly standpoint, obtaining a free gift of something of eternal value when you have done nothing to deserve it and another person works really hard for it seems like an injustice, a deception, trickery. But from the giver's standpoint, God, he can set whatever terms he likes because it is he who is in authority. Consequently, he can give what he wills to whom he wills, and it is just. In verse 36, Esau responds, saying, quote, And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. 
He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? Unquote. Perhaps here, for the first time, Esau is attributed inspired utterance. The name Jacob means, quote, to take by the heel, to supplant, unquote. Keep in mind that to supplant means to, quote, replace, displace, or supersede, unquote, something or someone else. From here, Esau puts his own interpretation on history with his failure to take personal responsibility. Esau claims that Jacob took away his birthright. In some versions, it is said that Jacob stole the birthright. Well, I'm sorry, but on the first count, I believe Jacob would be found not guilty of all charges. The plain and simple fact is that you can't steal or take away something which the owner has abandoned and given away. That was what Esau did with his birthright. On the second count, from one standpoint, Jacob might doubtlessly be found guilty of fraud or theft by false pretenses. On the other hand, since the blessing legally is being given by its owner, God, and God knows who all the players are and what legal standing they have, regardless of costumes and makeup, then despite all of the theatrics, God is at liberty to give the blessing to whomever he pleases. Eventually, Esau prevails upon Isaac to give Esau a blessing. The gist of the blessing is finalized in verse 40, which says, quote, And by thy sword shalt thou live, and thou shalt serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck, unquote. Now, historically speaking, the descendants of Esau and Jacob had constant conflicts back and forth with its ups and downs. But there was never really a time when it could be said that Esau or his descendants, quote, broke the yoke, unquote, of Jacob or his descendants. The Aramaic Targums give the blessing from Isaac this way, quote, And by thy weapons shalt thou live, and before thy brother be subject. And it shall be when the sons of Jacob labor in the law and keep the commandments, they will set the yoke of subjection on thy neck. But when the sons of Jacob withdraw themselves and study not the law, nor keep the commandments, behold, then shalt thou break their yoke of subjection off thy neck." Unquote. This interpretation places an unmistakable line of tension between Jacob and his descendants and Esau and his descendants. If and when Jacob and his descendants labor in the law and keep the commandments, Esau will have a yoke upon his neck. Conversely, when Jacob and his descendants withdraw themselves and study not the law, nor keep the commandments, then Esau will have his yoke broken. If then Esau is the type of the old nature, the old man, the flesh, and Jacob is the type of the new man, those who are born from above, then we have a startling and pertinent type of the substance, which is the tension between the old man and the new. 
Namely, whenever by God's grace, God clothes us through faith in Christ and his righteousness, we are given the gift of Christ's indwelling power and spirit, which puts our old nature, Esau, under the subjection of Christ's victory. While in the flesh, our old nature, Esau, as well as Satan and the world, remain in warfare and hostility against the things of God. They constantly seek to return the yoke of captivity and subjection of the flesh. But thanks be to God that according to Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, quote, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, unquote. Also Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, quote, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, unquote. In verses 41 and 42, Esau's desire to overtake and slay his brother Jacob and to thereby regain the birthright and blessing is told to Rebekah. Rebekah, the type of Christ, then relays this information to Jacob. This type matches the substance wherein each born-again believer receives discernment via Christ's indwelling spirit of the warfare between the old man and the new. Again, this enmity perfectly matches the relationship described by Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 13. Quote, because the carnal mind is an enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Unquote. In verse 43, Rebekah counsels Jacob to flee from Esau. This mirrors Paul's counsel to Timothy regarding sin and the flesh in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, which says, quote, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Unquote. Finally, in verse 46, Rebekah tells Jacob, and by extension, all we who abide in Christ, that she does not want us to remain in company with Esau, the type of the flesh. Esau has already done what every man in the flesh does, which is to join himself in marriage to the loves of this world. He has married two Hittite women who are the type of those who are in willful, unrepentant rebellion. 
He has fallen into strange worship, false gods, and idolatry. This makes Rebekah weary, as does God. God wants his elect, Jacob, to be separated from Esau, the world, and the flesh. If we are to marry, we, like Jacob, are instructed to flee to Rebekah's brother Laban. It is little coincidence that the Hebrew name Laban means, quote, white, to purify, unquote. Laban lives in Haran, which means, quote, to be scorched or burn, unquote. Thus, now that Jacob has been justified, Rebekah, i.e. Christ, is moving Jacob, Christ's elect, to be sanctified and purified in the crucible of his love and his perfect will. We are to marry ourselves to following God's will, to submit ourselves to those things which please him and nothing less. This concludes this episode. Please join me for episode 7. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Trust in